Good morning, everybody. This morning we'll be in Psalm 38 and 39, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. We may get to 40, we may not. Depends on how fast I go here. Um, had a wonderful men's breakfast yesterday, for those of you able to make it. Um, he just did, did a wonderful job sharing, and um, Pastor Josh from Grace down there, and uh, it was... This is, I've never heard that teaching before on that section of Scripture. So, it, you know, for someone who's been doing this for a long time and can kind of figure out where guys are going when they start, you know, with their texts or whatever, and it was really good. It was a nice surprise. So um, he just did an excellent job. Let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you'd speak to our hearts this morning as J.C. prayed, that we'd receive it with full hearts. You're only looking out for our best. And as David walks his walk, uh, in broad daylight, uh, sharing and exposing all of his weaknesses. And um, he's a very open person to be able to write these things and let us experience um, his hurt, but also his victories. And um, we can learn a lot from that. And Lord, we pray that we be the same kind of people, open and, and able to be read, um, not so closed. We don't want people to just judge us by the cover. We want them to, to know and um, that we might be living epistles for you in our walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. That's a hard thing to do, to walk openly and out loud so that people, because there's always, there's always advice, you know. Um, there's always um, a judgment. There just is. There's criticism. Um, and yet, in order to be a living epistle for Jesus Christ in this world, which Paul calls us that, we're living epistles, letters uh, written by God for the world to see, we have to be open and allow God to see all those things um, and, and or let people see all those things in our lives because we want them to know what God has actually done. If we keep saying the same phrases over and over again, it kind of loses its it's meaning, actually, when you say, uh, well, well, God loves you and, and God loves me, you know, well, that's great, but how and in what way do you know that? And, and how has he interacted with you in your life? Or is this just a philosophy or is it a name? Is it a book? Uh, you know, what's the difference between you and every other religion out there? And why, you know, that's why we need to live out loud. And so I'm so thankful for David to do that, to write these songs down. He's, uh, Psalm 38 is actually about a disease that he's picked up. And it's in his loins, and that's as far as we're going to go with that. Maybe it's a gut ache, or maybe it's lower. I don't know. I'm not, to, I'm not going to be too specific, because he doesn't get that specific. But he, he attributes it to sin in his life. And that's pretty open to talk about. I, I've lived my life in such a way that God is judging me with this disease, you know? And uh, we're quick, I think, as gracious, merciful people to say, well, no, 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 sickness isn't from sin. That's not where it comes from. That's that health and wealth prosperity doctrine that's crept into the church. And that's true sometimes, but a lot of times it's not. A lot of times we just reap the benefits of our walk with, without God, and we've planted seeds in our lives, and it produces, it can produce illness in us because we haven't been obedient to Him. It's not a it's not a, I'm, I'm going to zap you kind of thing uh, from God's perspective. It's a, this is why I told you not to do that. I told you not to do that, not because I didn't want you to have fun or not. I, I did it because it's going to be harmful to you. And here it is. You know, um, we want a lot of times, the world wants all the fun, sin, 
without any consequences. We don't want to have to uh, hear about the bad things that are happening. We want God to change those outcomes. I'm, I went down this road and I shouldn't have. Now make sure that road doesn't lead to where you said it was going to lead. Make it lead, you know, back to the good stuff again. So that's fine, but you've, you've got to go where you wanted to go first. And now that you've learned obedience, we can get back on the track. And so that's what David's experiencing here in Psalm 38. In verse 1, O Lord, do not rebuke me in your wrath, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. For your arrows pierce me deeply, and your hand presses me down. There is no soundness in my flesh because of your anger, nor any health in my bones because of my sin. For my iniquities have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds are foul and festering because of my foolishness. He's in a lot of pain. He's in a lot of, uh, um, it's open. Everybody can see it. It isn't something that he goes around with that it's undetectable. When people see him, they say, you know, he's going to say that as much later on. People are avoiding me, God, David's going to say. And my enemies, oh, they just, are, they just love it. They love it that I'm going through this. And so he's, he's, he's crying out to God because that's all we can do. God, your arrows are piercing me deeply. Um, I pray that you wouldn't punish me in your hot displeasure. As a parent uh, um, and, and as a human man, like David is, I understand what he's saying there. There are times as a parent when you discipline your kids out of hot displeasure. You don't pause. You don't count to ten you know, over here and calm and collected yourself. You react a lot of times. It happens. Um, A lot of times it's because you're concerned. They were going to get hit by a car. So you kind of, what do you, you know, and they're stunned too because they didn't even think about the street. They don't think about cars. They don't think, they just need the ball, you know. I need to get the ball. If I don't get the ball, you know, that's all they're thinking about. But as a parent, you saw it all happen and you see kind of panic and in your hot displeasure, you react, you know. And then you scare them even more. Now they're crying and every, you know, you got to calm it all down and you know, take a few steps back and talk to them about it and things like that. And so I understand that. Um, I'd love to be a perfect parent, but we're not. And David understands that too. And yet he's attributing something he would do to what God would do. And that's the mistake he makes, I think, here. Um, God doesn't rebuke us in his hot displeasure. He doesn't react. He doesn't overreact. He does exactly what he's supposed to do for our benefit. What he does, when he does it, is to bring us back. Now, sometimes it may feel harsh to us. It may feel excessive. Like, uh, I don't think this punishment fits the crime. Um, But God says, no, because he sees all things and he sees the direction you're headed. And it says, well, you need to experience the full weight of this sin right now, because if you don't feel it, and I tone it down a little bit and give you just, you know, you know, if I do that, a little tap, and all of a sudden I can see you committing those sins more and more because you think the tap is as bad as it's going to get, and it's not, you know, it gets much worse. I remember my parents, very loving parents, very good parents. I got in trouble a lot. Not just with them, but with authorities, you know, other people. And so they would plead my case to them, you know. Um, as a loving parent would, you know, uh, they, would, they would say, well, yeah, but he's never like this. He doesn't, you know, they would be my character witness, basically. He's not like that normally, and this is unusual, and this is out of character for him, and this is all. And they'd plead my case, and a lot of times it would work. But like I said, I got in trouble a lot 
not with the same authority, but with different authorities in my life, you know? And so that advocate, them advocating for me, it didn't embolden me, but it did make me feel like I can probably get away with a lot more, you know? Um, and so David is asking, please don't, please don't do this in your hot anger. Um, deal with me correctly. This is horrible. Now, of course, he's in the midst of this right now. It's a very painful, festering wound that he's got. Um, it's foul. It smells. There's, there's, I mean, we'll leave it there. It's pretty graphic here. But he's feeling it. Um, verse 6. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long, for my loins are full of inflammation. And there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and severely broken. I groan because of the turmoil of, of my heart. Inflamed loins here. You know, um, he's just being honest with God. I know, I know where this comes from, he says. I know this is the result of my sin. Um, and I'm asking for mercy is what he's asking for. Um, in John chapter 5, verse 5. Just in case we get into that mode of thinking, well, you know, are you going to teach today that sickness is from, you know, because we're sin and, and, and rebellious and God smites us? No. No, but like I said earlier, we can get sick from our sin. Um, and this is an example of that. In John chapter 5, verse 5, it's Jesus who's come to the pool uh, where people would uh, gather around, all the infirmed would gather around this pool, and, and an angel would come down and stir the waters, and they would scramble down there. And the first person in uh, got healed, and that was it. Then the, you know, the healing went away or whatever. It's kind of a strange story. It always makes me wonder what kind of angel is in there. I mean, you know, the Bible says angel, but who does that? You know, who gets everybody excited and then only lets one person get healed? I don't know. Maybe it was to see who was the most desirous of it. And who wasn't, who really wanted to get healed, and so there was effort involved and so on. I don't understand it. But there was a man, and this man in this chapter, in this, 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 uh, this story, he's clear at the top, far away from the pool. And so Jesus walks up to the pool, and of course he hits the back row first and says, do you even want to be well? And here's what he says. Now a certain man was there who had infirmity. 38 years he's had this infirmity. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already had been in that condition a long time. He said to him, do you want to be made well? And the sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well. And he took up his bed and walked. And that day was a Sabbath. And the Jews therefore said to him, who was cured? It's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. And he answered them, he who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. And that's a good thing. You know, so far, so good. We don't have any problems with any of this. You know, he did have an excuse as to why he wasn't getting better. I would have moved pretty close to the water. I'd have my foot dangling over the water. You know, that's just kind of how most of us are. But he, he stayed back. So Jesus says, we don't have to go down to the water. I'm just going to heal you right here. Go ahead and take up your bed. So they're questioning him. Why are you carrying a heavy load on the Sabbath? That's illegal. You know, you're not supposed to do that. Sabbath supposed to be resting. You're carrying your bed. Hey, the guy that healed me said I could do it. In other words, if he can heal me, certainly he can bypass that whole, you know, don't carry your bed rule. 
And he asked him, who is this man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now they're going to go chew this guy out, whoever this guy is. But the one who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. So this, Jesus just came up and healed him and left. No glory. Afterwards, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. That's our first understanding of why he was sick. Now, you need to stop sinning because a worse thing is going to come upon you if you continue to do this. What does he have for 38 years? What kind of sickness does he have? that came from sin, and Jesus heals him, and that's fine, and he's open and willing to do that. But he also says, no, I don't want you to sin anymore, because something worse will come upon you. And so that gives us some background. Now, after the guy hears that, now he knows his name, and he goes and finds these guys that were trying to find out who Jesus was, and they, he tells them the name. There's bitterness there. That's a whole other Bible study. It says, the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well, because Jesus had just, well, you know, judged me, man. Told me not to sin anymore, kind of thing. It was him. He's the one that healed me over there. The point is, David is sick because of a sin. This man was sick because of a sin. It isn't uncommon. I mean, it is possible. And I need to consider that in my life. But there are consequences for my actions and the way I walk. I don't get to live the way I want to outside of obedience to Jesus Christ and expect to live a trial-free, sick-free life. I think that's kind of arrogant of us to think that. So when we're sick, that's fine. Ask God for mercy, but understand what comes along with that mercy. Don't do that anymore. Don't get me out of this problem so that next Friday night I can get into that problem again. I've been brought to a place of an awakening, a moment where God says, look, this is minor compared to hell. This problem that you're going through, David, this sickness, a guy by this pool, that's minor compared to where you're headed if you continue down this path in your life. The sickness is meant to just wake you up and to make sure you understand that you're not living right. I want you to stop sinning. That's a very important part of the gospel. The gospel is good news, and it's good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for my sins, but it's very important for me to understand what those sins are, to acknowledge those sins, to confess those sins to the Lord, to turn my back on those sins, to put Jesus in your back pocket as a salvation card, and to continue down the road of sin is no repentance, and you're not bearing fruits worthy of repentance. And so therefore, the gospel is probably ineffective in your life. And you've been duped into thinking that you can just say Jesus, put him in your pocket and go live without any conviction, without any repentance, without any turning from your sin. You've got to turn from your sin and turn towards God. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That'd be terrible news. If he says, now that you've come to me, you can live your life as you wish and do whatever you want to do. And there'll be no consequences for you. Fairy dust you know, kind of thing. That's horrible because our sin leaves a wake of destruction in other people's lives too. God isn't just saving us. He's saving everybody around us from the consequences that we bring into their lives too. We leave a wake of destruction. God wants to fix things. He wants to fix families, not just dad. He wants to fix families, not just mom. He wants to save workplaces, not just the secretary or the boss. He's into exponential growth in his kingdom. 
And part of that is my repentance and turning from it and living out loud like David is. Verse 9. Lord, all my desire is before you, and my sighing is not hidden from you. My heart pants. My strength fails me. As for the light of my eyes, it also has gone from me. My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague, and my relatives stand afar off. He knows what it is. He calls it a plague. (laughs) Not just oops or something that just happens to everybody. He understands that. Now his friends and everybody are staying away. Some friends, some family. Nonetheless, they don't want to catch it or they don't want to participate in it. Or regardless, I don't want to judge them too harshly today because that isolation that he's feeling right now is actually bringing him to a place that he can't go to any place else for comfort but God. In order to go to God for comfort, you've got to acknowledge the fact as to why you're coming to him. And the conversation begins. So just because you're isolated and alone and then you're, you know, left in your sin, that's okay. Sometimes that's a great time to think, you know. I'm all for visiting people in prison. I, I think we're called to that. I do. Um, I think we're here to minister to them. But it's also a great time for people to get right with the Lord. And a lot of time on your back staring at a gray ceiling with bars around you is a great time to figure your life out to figure out your path, to figure out why you're there and how you got there. It's a very important time for someone. And although you want to be there for them, but the visitation that you want to do in prison is to lead them to Jesus and to, if anything, magnify what God or the Holy Spirit is trying to do in their life while they're there. I'm not here to alleviate your suffering, to take away what you're going through because of your crime. But I'm here to magnify and show you this is the way out. Here's why you got here. I mean, let's Let's, let's walk, work this out, you know. That's why we visit people. That's why we talk to them. My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague and my relatives stand afar off. Those who seek my life lay snares for me. Those who seek my hurt speak of destruction and plan deception all the day long. But I, like a deaf man, do not hear, and I am like a mute who does not open his mouth. Thus, I am like a man who does not hear and whose mouth has no response or is no response. For in you, O Lord, I hope you will hear, O Lord my God. For I said, hear me, lest they rejoice over me, lest when my foot slips, they exalt themselves against me. Now David is moving from just problems with his own life and his own hurt to your reputation, God, is being damaged. I know it's by my sin. He hates the fact that this is, this is giving his enemies an occasion to blaspheme God, like when we blow our witness around somebody that we've been working on for years maybe, and all of a sudden we lose our temper, or you've been really doing well with your wife, you know, and really trying to be the kind of man you're supposed to be, and all of a sudden you snap and you fall back into old habits, and she's like, I've been waiting for this, you know, the whole time. I knew you weren't changed. I knew you were the same person, and you feel that inside, you know. And so David's like, I'm sorry that your reputation is being maligned, you know. You got a lot of enemies. Some are genuine enemies. He had, David had real enemies, like the Philistines, and that's okay. And he didn't have a problem with those kind of enemies. He expected those kind of If you're coming against someone who's coming against God, you can plan on them being your enemy. That's okay. He didn't have a problem with that. It was the people that just didn't like him. 
that's the part that he's going to have a hard time with here in a minute. It's uh, they're just they're just it's jealousy for the most part, or they got rebuked, or they got whatever because he's a king. He's got a lot of responsibilities. You got to make a judgment call every single day with court cases coming before you at times, and fifty percent of the crowd's going to go away mad every single day of your life. You know. You make a lot of enemies by just trying to be righteous and walking with the Lord. That just happens. But when he gets sick and he has this infirmity and it's because of his sin, that other that 50% that was mad at him, oh, they're cheering. Yes. I've been praying for him to be smoked. I, oh, thank you, God, for hearing my prayer, you know. And David's like, this is not good. One does not have to do with the other, you know. These are two different situations here. Me making a judgment against you or you being an enemy of me because you're jealous. I have nothing to do with this sickness and my sin. Of course, I'm a broken man. Of course, I'm a sinner. Of course, I make mistakes. And I reap the same benefits as any other person out there under God's control and authority in my life. But that doesn't make us or keep us from having to do what we're called to do, you know. As Christians, you're, you're, we're called to analyze this world and walk with a biblical worldview, regardless of whether you're a perfect Christian or not. You're not. Nobody is. But it doesn't mean I can't see this world through a biblical view and understand that's sin and that's sin and that's right and that's wrong. And there's nothing wrong with doing that. If we begin to think that our guilt and our shame because of our sin disqualifies us from making judgments in this world as to what's good and evil, we're, we're hopeless and we're powerless and the church because it becomes ineffective. That's what's happening with David here. He feels like they've all been justified in their wrongdoing because he's sick. It's as if God has taken it personal, their personal problem with David and thrust it upon him and saying, this is because I'm getting him back for you. Watch this. I'm going to get David for you. And that's not what's happening. David is being corrected for David's sake. Not because of them, not for their sake. Um, Verse 17. For I am already, uh, or I am ready to fall, and my sorrow is continually before me. For I will declare my iniquity, I will be in anguish over my sin, but my enemies are vigorous and they are strong, and those who hate me wrongfully have multiplied. Amazing how many people are excited about my inflamed loins, you know? Gee whiz. No idea I had that many enemies. Those also who render evil for good, they are my adversaries because I follow what is good. It's not hard to make enemies in this world. You just have to do the right thing. Do the right thing and you'll, you'll, you'll have enemies. Everybody that wants to do the wrong thing, even if you're not affecting their life or even telling them to their face, the very fact that you're trying to walk with God infuriates them. We live in a world like that right now. I don't know if you understand that. I'm sure you do. But we like to attribute this rage from people around us as we walk as Christians. And it just seems like the world's getting really, you know, hating Christians more and more. Yeah, and they are going to. But I also want you to know this. This is a spiritual warfare. The people that are stirred up to hate you because you're walking righteously or walking with the Lord or say the name of Jesus out loud, they're being stirred up by Satan. He doesn't like that. He's the one that's upset. There's no conspiracy theory except spiritual warfare is happening all the time. And the useful puppets are useful puppets. That's what they are. And if it's ever, whoever's hand is 
controlling them. That's whose boss. You know, that's their boss. And they're just useful idiots for, for, for Satan. And so when he's talking about his enemies and those who render evil for good, well, they're on the wrong side. They're not with God. David's going to have those enemies anyway. But what he doesn't like is the fact that they're, I don't think it's a pride thing in David's life, but he's upset that they're, they're accusing or, you know, rejoicing over his ailment that he has that bothers him. And so he wants to get that corrected. And so he, said, he thinks the best way out of this is for you to heal me, Lord. You know, it is. But I also want you to repent, David. Because David, God is not as concerned. When he is focused on David and getting David correct. And, 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 so he, and he, he, God knows all that's going on around David. God's not worried about his, God's reputation. God's got, I, they've always hated me. It makes no difference to me. I'm worried about you, David, because you're my son. You're the one that I want, you know, changed and drawn close to. And I, I want you to figure out that this is not the path for you. And you shouldn't have any, that many wives. I told you not to have that many. You know, we talked about this, David. It's gotten into problems and troubles. And so God is concerned about that. And as a parent, you can identify with that. I'm concerned about my kids, you know. Um, I'm worrying about them. I'm trying to get them straightened out. I'm not worried about my reputation as a parent. That's a terrible way to parent, by the way. And you really have to be careful. That's a side note. But if you're embarrassed by your kid's behavior and you correct your kids out of your embarrassment, that's not a good way to parent. Because that's when you do it in the heat of the moment. That's when you do it because it's about you and it's not about them. It can't be that way. And that's something you have to work on and pray through. It's got to be because of the child, not because of your embarrassment or whatever. You don't want that to take place. So it's a side issue, but um, God's never like that. They've always hated me. You know, I don't have a problem with other people hating me. I'm worried about you, son. You know, I want you to get straight. And I appreciate that. I'm so thankful that God doesn't leave us in our sin, that doesn't let things slide that isn't so loving as the world would describe love as to just let sin go without any confrontation or any consequences. So appreciate that. Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. He's done. Heal me of this ailment. Now, Psalm 39. I said I will guard my ways, lest, my, lest I sin with my tongue. I will restrain my mouth with a muzzle while the wicked are before me. I was mute with silence. I held my peace even from good, and my sorrow was stirred up. My heart was uh, hot within me while I uh, was musing the fire fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. So I I kept quiet as long as I could, you know. Um, I I held my tongue, but it was just building inside of me. That's the same thing he said in 38. He's careful with his mouth. Um, he was mute in, in 38 and 39. He chooses to be quiet. Uh, and that's a noble thing. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19, in the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. The Lord actually says in the word that anybody that's teaching the Bible is held to a stricter judgment. And you can see why. I mean, literally for 45 minutes, I'm going to be talking up here. That's a lot of words, you know, and I'm going to do it twice today. And the sermons are sort of the same, but sometimes there's a little change in there. But man, come 12, 15, I'm done talking for a week, you know, kind of thing. 
And it's very easy with that much, you know, with this thing moving all the time to be, I got to be extra careful, you know. Sometimes I get excited about a passage and then a little JD shows up, you know, and begins to say things he shouldn't say, you know, kind of thing. It happens. And sin is unavoidable, you know. It's like, man. And so David takes that proverb to heart. I think if I open my mouth right now, it would be bad. I'm going to just, hmm. Proverbs 29, 11. A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. I say that because I know what psychology says. You need to vent your feelings. You know, here's a club. It's, and you hit your spouse, and then your spouse will hit you. I mean, I've seen these things in action. They put the, spouse, uh, the spouses to face each other in a chair, and they have these uh, pool noodles, you know. And you just make me so mad sometimes. Well, you make me mad too. And that's their idea of therapy, to get their marriage right. I don't think you should stuff your feelings down into a tiny little box and lock it and sure it's going to be fine later on. I mean, I understand you do need to, like David does, I think is better, let it out to God. God can handle those things. And we don't need to keep everything suppressed to where it explodes in our life, you know, later on and comes out sideways. But I also think this proverb is, oh boy, I wish we'd use that more today than ever before. Only a fool vents all of his feelings. Nobody has to know everything about us all the time, you know. Just be careful about vomiting your feelings upon the world. It's okay to keep them between you and the Lord. That's okay. And so David tries to do that. He tries to keep it in. Um, But finally I spoke. But at least he paused before he spoke. He says, Lord... Make me to know my end, and what is the measure of my days, that I may know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as handbreadths, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly, every man at his best state is but a vapor. We've heard that several times in Scripture. You'll hear that again in the Psalms, but also in the New Testament, you're just a vapor. That's pretty quick life. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely uh, they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. And, and uh, you can spend your whole life gathering and making more and more and more. And uh, what's it for? What's the purpose of it all? Um, and there's nothing wrong with working hard and saving money and all that. But don't make it your, your life's aim, you know, kind of thing. And so he's just saying, our life is so short. We really ought to be thinking about eternity, you know. Um, and so <laughs> David's prayer after he's burning in his heart and restraining and muzzling his mouth is, God, just help me to know how short this life is. And that does help us um, bring down the, um, the worry about smaller situations in our life. You know, everything seems big. Everything's dramatic. Everything's a disaster, you know. No, not everything. You know, there's disaster. People that say disasters all the time probably haven't had a real disaster in their life in comparison. And they'd be like, oh, well, you know, me running out of ice in my refrigerator is not a disaster, you know, kind of thing. It's a, it's a minor inconvenience and I'll have to drink warm water now kind of thing. But some people haven't felt true hardship. And so it's easy for them to just, that's their, that's their benchmark, you know, that's their zero or whatever. Uh, is ice. 
we say that in our house sometimes. I'll catch myself doing that, complaining about something. I'll be like, oh, can you believe, you know, they're out of this at the store, they're out of this. And one of my kids will say, yeah, dad, first world problems, you know, first world problems. Instead of 10 kinds of peanut butter, there's no GIF. They recalled the GIF. So get some Skippy. You'll be okay, you know, kind of thing. Um, first world problems. We... As Americans could probably say that a lot and probably should say that a lot more. First world problems, you know. They didn't have the color car I wanted. Oh, you know. <laughs> uh, tough. Verse, uh, where are we? Oh, vapor. Yeah, we're vapors. Verse 7. And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the reproach of the foolish. I was mute. I did not open my mouth because it was you who did it. Remove your plague from me. I am consumed by the blow of your hand. When, uh, when the rebukes, or when with the rebukes, uh, with rebukes, you correct man for iniquity, you make his beauty melt away like a moth. Uh, surely every man is a vapor. Um, David's just feeling the, the sting of the illness, the sickness, and... Um, it's amazing how when a part of your body hurts, everything is out of whack, you know. Um, nothing's right in your life. And it's a, it really focuses you, actually, you know. Um, a lot of people go through or come up against an illness that is most certainly going to be deadly in their life, and they recover from it, but um, it happens Sometimes they get healed and they come out of it. Sometimes they don't, but sometimes they do. And they've never been closer to God during that moment. They're very focused on eternity. All of a sudden they realize the vapor isn't as big a vapor as you thought it was, you know. My lifespan isn't automatically 82 or 86 or whatever you're hoping for. It could very well be 62, you know. Ooh, I wasn't, I was planning 20 more years. Kind of refocuses what I need to be doing. If you're 60 years old and 62 may be the end of you, maybe I need to spend these two years doing something a little other than worrying about this, that, or the other thing. You know, it focuses us. Well, David's very focused right now. Um, I'm a very aware of my problems. He says, Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears. For I'm a stranger with you, a sojourner, as all my fathers were. Remove your gaze from me, that I may regain strength before I go away and am no more. David really feels like this is the end. And if God continues to lay his hand upon me heavy like this, I'm not going to make it. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11. It's a long cross-reference, but I think an important one. He says, For I considered him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. So the writer of Hebrews is trying to encourage people what you're going through is similar to what Jesus went through. You have not yet resisted the bloodshed, striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, 
of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For if they, these earthly fathers, indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he, the Father of lights, for our, our, our profit that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. David's just being trained. You know, the enemies can be all excited that God's judging him and just, you know, smiting him. That's, that's what they do to their kids. What's happening here with God in 38 and 39 is God is training David to walk. And as painful as it may be, the writer of Hebrews says, it's also a good thing because that means you know you're his kid. You know? I'm very careful when I go to the beach or public places that I don't try to parent everybody's kids. You know? Nobody likes that. Nobody wants that. And uh, you can obviously see some kind of correction needs to take place, but it's not your place to do it. It's their place. It's their kid, you know? It doesn't take a village. It takes good parents to do it, you know, to do that. And so when I find myself being chastened by the Lord, like David finds himself being corrected by the Lord, that means I'm his kid. It's a very intimate thing to be able to come up to some other human being and tell them what to do, which only our Father in heaven should be able to do because he's our only Father. And so David is experiencing in his, uh, this conversation with God, and it's a beautiful thing. And I hope we see that for our lives too, that the correction we may be feeling or the, the, the heavy hand of God, it doesn't always have to be physical illness. It can be lots of things. God's just trying to straighten us out and say, no, no, I'm not happy with that decision. I don't like that path. You didn't pray about that thing. You went on your own. I specifically told you not to, and there you went and, you know, God does that for us as, as kids. And I'm very thankful for that. And I hope you are too. And um we're going to stop there. I don't think I can get through 40, so we'll stop there. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your chastening. David's even thankful for the chastening. He gets it. He understands the lesson. He just wants it to be over. He wants the test to be concluded. And of course, we are the same way. So Lord, help us to learn quickly. Help us to receive your correction quickly. That we might learn that lesson and be trained by it and be better because of it. And we also want to get out of the trial. Um, we want it to be over. And so, God, help us to be appreciative of your care um, for us, that your thoughts towards us, that your, your heart for us is so strong that you're not going to be, um, well, you're not just going to look the other way. We're, we're not uh, unimportant to you. We're very important to you. And the fact that you focus on us and you look at us and you talk to us and you train us tells us how actually, how close we are to you. And so we're thankful for that. So, Lord, thank you for the chastening. Thank you for the correcting. Um, thank you for the training, Lord. Um, we do want it. Uh, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.